Hi, I'm Jess Bonyard and I'm here to tell you that this podcast is brought to you by Women's Rugby Coaching Magazine. Why not join the revolution with me and many others involved in driving forward rugby? Visit womensrugbycoaching.com to sign up for a monthly magazine packed full of inspirational stories, coaching tips and activities to help you support your coaching. That's womensrugbycoaching.com. Now, back to the podcast. Welcome to the Women's Rugby Coaching Podcast. We will be smashing through some of the issues and questions coaches have, as well as tackling talking points in women's rugby. Today on Women's Rugby Coaching Pod, we are talking all things mental health within girls age grade rugby. Therefore, today's podcast does feature some difficult and emotionally impactful stories. My guest is a coach extraordinaire. She's Vicky Alexander, who describes herself as a complete activist for women in sport. She'll be describing her journey and experiences with mental health and coaching and how she has supported her other coaches, parents and players during difficult moments. So, hi, thanks for having me. Uh, I'm Vicky Alexander. Um, I would say I'm a, a bit of a jack of all trades, master at none at the moment. Um, I currently coach... Uh, at Petersfield with their senior men uh, and I've been coaching now for the last I think eight years at Cobham as their community coach lead for their girls program um, and um, among the many other jobs that I have juggling around <laughs> um, for, for rugby um, which I absolutely adore and love I'm a bit of a people would say I'm probably a bit of a rugby fanatic as in for games and coaching and mentoring. If you asked me to name the lineup for the England squad, wouldn't be able to do it. <laughs> but could tell you pretty much the, you know, the entire women's team. So um, that's probably been my forte, sort of my, where I've sort of led into is the strength within the women's game. I sort of, I think if you were to take off my coaching outfit underneath, I'd have Wonder Woman's gear on. In my head, that's what I would be. So... <laughs> Um, yeah, and I just absolutely adore it. So that's me in a nutshell. And probably important for people that aren't listening to say that we've met when the Girls Rugby Club did a one-day camp at my club, Huddersfield, that Correct. you are part of the, the coaching lineup for that. What's, what's it like coaching for Girls Rugby Club for people that don't know in those one-day camps? Because obviously we can tell you're passionate about women's rugby, so sort of doing those those one day camps must be a dream for you? Oh, it's I think it's it's an amazing opportunity to get girls from all different clubs in one location and actually touch base with them, give them some really good coaching. It, it's different from what they get at clubs. They've got their club coaches there, they're they're training them with skills, they're training with through games with the idea that they'll go and play for that club, represent their club and go out there. With the girls' rugby club, it's a bit more holistic. Yes, we want to give them some really good skills. We want to give them some really good experience. But it's also transferring the skills that myself and Rachel and the other coaches have had in our careers and actually impart those on, on the girls, giving them a little bit of wisdom, a bit of confidence and saying, we've been in your shoes. You can do just like us. So, um, which I think is really important. Yeah, and I and I really enjoyed the day having to watching you guys you guys coach and just sort of like being on your shoulders and and shadowing you. It was also a really important experience for me as a coach. So, you know, I I massively enjoyed the day. Now, obviously, we are going to be discussing mental health on on the podcast today, and I think it's important for us to sort of say a disclaimer that no one's going to be named, but you are going to talk about difficult issues. Do you want to sort of talk about how we're, we're going to talk about difficult, difficult stories and how you're going to approach that? Yeah. Um, I think it, a lot of what we're going to talk about is my experience as a coach. Um, the one thing I did leading up for the podcast was I, I randomly just sort of sent out um, a message to my past girls, my past parents, my current girls and current parents, and just sort of said, if you have had experience or an interaction with me that has led to a positive or a negative um, impact towards mental health, could you just ping it back to me? Just sort of let me know how I've impacted you and your family. Um, what I did tell them is that their stories might be shared in a loose form 
but nothing will be um, that nothing will be said that would instantly somebody will say, oh, that's Jemima or that's George or that's whoever. Um, you wouldn't know, and and that's something that is quite um, quite strong and powerful about mental health and mental well-being. You just don't know. You can look at somebody and they would be the cheeriest, happiest, smiliest person out there and you just would not know the internal struggles that they're having. Um, but as a coach, when certainly a coach like, like me and where I, I think I draw strength from is really getting to know my players, really getting to know my players' parents. And that's evident from the feedback that I got. Um, the feedback that I had back was, that my relationship building with the families, with the girls, really set a sort of precedent, really, that I was able to connect more than just on the pitch, you know, the catching and the passing and the skills. It was also leading into making sure that their mental health and their wellness was also important on the pitch and off the pitch so they continue playing. Um, I did ask my husband and said, you know, do you think that it's because I'm a mum? Do you think it's because... I automatically, it's like a superpower that I have that I can almost tell. I certainly can with my own kids when when they're not right, when, they're, when they've had a tough mental day. So I wonder if it's that kind of superpower. And I'm sure that there are dad coaches out there who, who possess the same superpowers as mums do. But he sort of said, well, perhaps, because if he was coaching, he might not have the same sort of um, connection and be able to pick up on it as um as well as I could what's also massively important to to tell listeners is you we were chatting about obviously wanting you in the magazine or wanting you in the podcast in in some form and it was actually the the parents wasn't it the parents at the club that said we've we've seen this magazine we know of it we think you should be in it and I think do you want to talk a bit about that because I think that's a massively powerful statement in itself yeah, I think um, it's really great that we've got some like like a magazine and we've got podcasts that are out there that are designed solely around the women's game so that when girls are looking for content to listen to, to, to read, um, they actually see their own, they, they see their their heroes, their, the, you know, the women coming through the game now, the women who were in the game, the pioneers of the past, you know, they see them and what they're doing now. And those women are still doing powerful things. They might not be in rugby now. They might only be touching the surface of rugby, but they're still doing some really powerful things. And I think it's it's really important. Um, I know I talk a lot to my daughter about, you know, she has, you know, she has a lot of um, like women heroes out there, whether they're from rugby or football or through the science community. But you have to search for them and having this on an open forum that we can just share on our social media platforms and get it out there for the girls to see, I think is really important. It's really, really powerful. Um, and so when one of the parents said to me, hey, you know, do you know this person? I went, yeah, yeah, I do. <laughs> I was like, yeah, OK, well, um, you know, I'll touch base and, and see if we can, we can get on there. Because um, we were discussing, I know I was speaking to one of my parents and we were discussing about mental health platforms and how to get more people talking about their experiences because that will in, in turn give other people a voice or at least the confidence to share something with somebody else. Go, oh, I heard Vicky talking about mental health. She doesn't look crazy. She doesn't look like she's got mental health issues. But actually, I think we all do in some some form. There is a a spectrum it's like a little balance and you've either got mental wellness sorry mental wellness or you've got mental ill wellness or mental ill health and you're always floating between them ideally we want to be on one side more than the other um, but if we don't talk about it you just it just becomes a taboo a bit like periods nobody talks about it so we're just going to hide it in the corner and, and not talk about it and just sort of go around it um, but I did have a a chat with my one of our new coaches. Uh, he doesn't have children. He's in his early 20s. He's taken over the role of, of coaching girls. And he actually said, you know, had I not pushed him, had I not asked him to step out of his comfort zone and talk about mental health and 
really ask some of those difficult questions, but also become a lot more empathetic. He said he would never have challenged his coaching style or his coaching language. You know, he was very much, why are they not, you know, we'd have conversations and he'd be like, why are they just not doing it? Why can't they just catch a ball? Why are they so giggly today? Why are they not listening? <laughs> and, you know, it happens. It's either a full moon or, um, you know, something else is going on. I just, have you asked them? Have you talked to them? How was their day today? What is the time of the year? Because when it's exams and mocks, it can bring a bit more stress out. So you can adapt your sessions accordingly. And, you know, he sent me some feedback. And he was like, I now, that is at the forefront of any of my coaching. The mental side, we all know the tactical, technical, mental, mental and physical aspects within your, your coaching sessions. And he drives the mental side of it so much more than all the other aspects. Because if the girls are, are well, they're happy, they're having fun, they'll keep coming back. The more they keep coming back, the more he gets to coach and everybody's happy. So just sort of picking up on that because you've supported coaches through that and, it, and it's obvious you're really passionate about supporting players and parents' mental health. How did you create an environment at the club yourself, first of all, to make mental health okay being talked about rather than just a tick box exercise? It seems like you've created something that's really long-lasting. I think it came because I didn't know where to start because I had... We had a couple of girls who were struggling. We're going back sort of seven or eight years ago now. Um, you know, we, have, we had a couple of girls who were struggling with the sexuality. They didn't know how to tell their parents about coming out. Um, I was that safe person. You know, I could share, they could share that with me and go, and I'm not the only coach in the world who who is that person. But it was that that trust. If I didn't break that trust, then that trust was formed with them. After, you know, after that sort of, we had a few of those, that's probably more common is the girls who don't know how to tell their parents that they they don't know if they're gay or they, you know, they might like girls, they don't know. And it's, you know, because we are dealing with that pre-pubescent, post-pubescent girls. And that's what they think about. You know, all those hormones are just, you know, in between rugby and school, it's like, ah. Um, but the other side of that is where you have open parents, that's an easy conversation to have. It's a confidence building. I'm here for you if you need me with you or here's some, some resources. Stonewall's great. There are some other resources out there and it's about letting go. And when I first started, I was very much... I probably put my mum's hat too, on too much and go in, I want to protect you with everything that I have. Um, and I took on too much. And then my mental health suffered because I felt like I was the only person in the world. I felt the RFU didn't care. I felt that the club didn't care. Couldn't find any information around safeguarding for these children. Things have changed now. There are, is that support there. But when I started, I really struggled to find that support because, again, nobody was talking about it. It wasn't an open space. There was nothing on. And unless you were unless you had gone through that process and and knew about companies like Stonewall and organizations like Stonewall out there, which I didn't know at the time, quite naively, I didn't know. Um, you have to research and you have to find out for yourself. Uh, through that process, we also had a number of girls who, because of their family circumstances, whether it was religious or the way their, their parents were brought up, they had a really struggling time dealing with their sexuality, dealing with problems and their own mental health. And I had an experience where one of my girls ended up in hospital through um, uh, an issue that had happened, and, in a, and it wasn't a very nice one. And the first person that she rang was me. She did not want to speak to her parents. She did not want to bother anybody else. And I was at a loss to what to do. I didn't I didn't know who to turn to. I had my husband I could turn to, but he was as naive as I was in regards to mental health and, and how to, to give these girls some kind of structure. It wasn't until I visited her in hospital that there was a nurse on, on the site who introduced me to somebody from the CAMS. And again, I knew nothing about CAMS. 
because I'd never been through the system, uh, I didn't know all of these organisations existed. And CAMS were fantastic. They just said, look, you can't change what's happened overnight. There's nothing you can do. You can support, but you do have to step away. You do have to cut that tie and go. And it's really hard. It's so hard when you care about them. And give them over to organisations who have the support network. And, you know, Stonewolf was fantastic and CAMS were absolutely fantastic for this girl. And, you know, she's come out the other side now. As an adult, things are so much easier than when you're a 13, 14-year-old girl struggling with your identity. When you're an adult, you make your own choices and and it's so much easier. But during those early sort of early to mid-teenage years, you still live with your parents. You're still sort of governed by their household rules and their ideas and their beliefs. And when you've got that internal struggle of your own values and beliefs, which differ from your parents or your your support network, it's really, really hard. And those organisations like Stonewall, like Mind, are absolutely critical as a coach to fall back on because it does seem really mean to say, here you go, here's here's the information but it is the right thing to do. Unless it's your own child, it is the right thing to do. Um, so that was that was where I started. And it was at that point I realised if it's happening to one or two of my players, it must be happening to more. So we started um, in putting things in like charters, safe zones. I put a dedicated safeguarding parent in place. And that safeguarding parent was there for me but also for the girls, that was their port, port of contact. It wasn't that they came to me with all their problems. They, We had a safeguarding person there who then we did some research and we found a whole list and we have a leaflet now. Or we do it by, by, you know, computer nowadays. But, you know, we, we give it to them, go, here are the resources. If it's around sexuality, it's this. If it's around substance abuse, it's around this. If it's suicide awareness, it's here. Um, these are the people who know. I don't know. I'm just a rugby coach who cares a lot. But these are the people who know, and it's really important. So we sort of started down that route, started educating the coaches because my coaches were all dads. We didn't. I was the only independent one who didn't have children in my girls section. And all the other parents are dads, and slowly but surely, the dads are. Oh wow. Okay. Well, we've got this, and it was quite nice for them because it's black and white. Girl has problem. Girl says problem, parent goes, here you go, here's a leaflet. Now we focus more around the um, the girl's mental health, well-being within our game. So we we take away a lot of the competition in our games, so our girls especially, not all girls, but our girls especially, don't really care about competition. They want to play, they want to play well, they want to know that they're doing well. They want to stretch their learning and their development. We do it in different ways. We get a really creative, we get their their feedback, their comments, how can we develop the games? We really get them to input because that will grow their confidence. As their confidence grows, hopefully some of those mental worries and and anxieties will start dripping away and won't compound some of the other mental health issues that they have in everyday life. And I think if we as a rugby team or our rugby coaching team can alleviate some of the rugby anxieties, that will help not overload all their other senses that are going on at the moment. So, Clubs often do talk about how management committees can be dinosaurs and, you know, sometimes you've got to bring people along with you. What was the, the club reaction like when you started doing this? Did you have to have difficult conversations or were they, were they, was there a buy-in 100% sort of behind you? I think I, I know that there was a buy-in from from the start. Um, you know, I do come along with some wacky ideas, but the club have been amazing in the way that they have adapted and changed and developed things. Um, you know, we've got a fantastic... When we first started, the, you know, the safeguarding officer was the first place I went to for information and advice, but they didn't know. They didn't know because the RFU didn't know. Think, obviously, things have now changed a lot and there is so much more that is out there. As a club, we've also linked up with Mind, um, the charity, in order to provide additional um, mental health training and support um, and, and to help coaches 
because they are volunteers they are parents majority of them are parents um and it's it's really it's really good to have an organization that links up with the club and i think that says a lot about where the club is where their mindset is and um and how important mental health is within our rugby community um so i don't think it i think it's part of our our sort of first aid training it's just the norm now for us as a club we do this and as coaches these are the kind of courses and these are the support that is on offer to you so nobody really knows any different it's all there now <laughs> so if a if a club is wanting to go from having sort of no provision to slowly working up to to being like a, a mentally fit club or a, a mentally aware club what would the steps you'd recommend them to take say we're going from like zero to like 100 percent over a couple of years what would be the the steps they want to do I think the first thing is is to buy into it is that um, don't just a lot of clubs have one person that's their safeguarding officer and any safeguarding officer in the country and any of the clubs will tell you it is a humongous role for one volunteer. So asking one person to be the mental health first aider at a club is an unrealistic goal to try and achieve. However, having multiple first aiders making the first aid person in every single team also the mental health champion or having another parent who is that mental health champion and multiplying those skills across the club is a good place to start linking yourself up with mental health charities is also another good way because they have a lot of free advice a lot of free courses that you can run um run at your club and you can find out more you know information and then just add it in slowly you know and that's what I would say is go to the board, go to your physio. Your physio's at the club, your first aiders at the club will welcome somebody coming in and, and helping them. The RFU's got some really, really good stuff on mental health on their website, um, which is fantastic. So there's loads of links for, um, for the charities that uh, link up with their mental health provisions. You've got Premiership, which run alongside some, mainly the men's Premiership, clubs they also run foundations so we're linked up with harlequins foundation and they run a lot of mental well-being courses um webinars little things that you can get access to so whoever your local men's premiership organization is chances are if you have a look they'll also have a foundation and they'll run similar kind of activities through their foundation awesome and i know we, we sort of spoke or we sort of danced around the the reaction and the discussion you've had with parents and it seems like they've they've really supported you and 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 developed you have they i know there was moments where you said you were you were struggling and you had to sort of step away a little bit have the have the parents helped you in that as much as you've helped them what's that relationship been like i think i think the back then when i was when i was struggling that I took it on myself it was actually speaking to other parents that weren't at my club it was getting their their, their views you know how would you deal with it other coaches as well um, it was quite good to delve into or, or speak to my male coaching network I sort of related it to they're quite black and white in the way they approach things or they just didn't really see it so they were able to take all the emotion out of the conversation and say, right, actually, this is what I would do or this is what I should get you to do. Um, alongside that, I had a really in-depth conversation with some of the um, coach educators within, with, at Stonewall, and they were also there to help me. It was more me understanding what my role was as a coach and how far I was willing to go, how far I was willing to attach emotionally and being okay with saying no and that was the biggest stepping stone that I had to learn was it is okay to say no and it's okay to still care about the people in your, your rugby community whilst saying no um, and as a you know any volunteer at any rugby club any sports club will know any active volunteer will know say you know saying no is really hard 
It is really hard when all you want to do is give back, when all you want to do is give, 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 give. It is really hard to say no. But it's also really important that you don't do everything yourself. Um, Stonewall were, were really good in giving me clear, like a clear step-by-step -step process on what to have, have, you know, what to happen if somebody comes to me with X, Y, and Z. Um, and that was also really important. And it's also important that you get validation from some of your parents as well, that it's, you know, I can't help, but here's a number or here's a website or thank you for the information. I'll bear that in mind when I run my next session. Um, you know, so, it, so it's sort of, it's sort of a mixture between all, uh, between everything. Um, Hi, it's me, Jess Bunyard again. Just want to say don't forget to head on over to womensrugbycoaching.com to get our monthly magazine. Develop yourself, your players and have fun. Let's push rugby forward together. Um, but also having a really good family network yourself. You know, I'm really lucky that my, my family network is, is really strong. Um, so if I come home in tears, oh, this has happened, the end of the world, or... And sometimes I've come home in absolute tears. What could I have done differently? This has happened. Oh, my God, I didn't see the signs. I should have seen the signs. I should have been able to do this. And it's just that pat on the back, give you a, a chocolate bar to make you feel better. <laughs> chocolate makes everything better <laughs> when you're feeling low. And, you know, it's just, um, you know, getting that sort of you're, you're doing the best you can. And sometimes that's all you need. Yeah, I think that's massively important. I think sometimes we're, we're probably so concerned with safeguarding the players, we forget to safeguard ourselves as well as as volunteers and, and the people around us. Um, and and some of that is, I, and I know you're you're sitting there. For anyone that is just listening, you know it is moving. Um, you know there there are there are tears, and and I, you know it, it is emotional because I think as a coach sometimes. I, I've had situations where there's been a player and you can see they're struggling before they they come and they come and speak to you, and it's and it's always that that difficult line, isn't it? Of of do you go and approach them? Do you wait for them to come to you? You know, um, what what's been your experience with that? If you spotted somebody that you think is struggling, what would your advice be to coaches, to parents, managers? Yeah, so I I run on a on a red, amber, and green in my head, um, and I know that my coaches will will they'll do their own version. Um, it works for me going red, amber, and red, uh, red, amber, and green. My red girls are the ones who I know are struggling on a day to day basis. They're my high risk girls, and when we come to sessions, it's just to, hi, how are you? How has your day been? What have you done today? What have you done that's made you happy? And it instantly changes their whole, oh, he's asking what's made me happy today. What have you done that's fun? You know, what made you smile today? You can sort of gauge from their answer as to where they are on their, you know, on the spectrum of are they in the in rugby mind or are they not? Sometimes the parents sort of give you a heads up and go, so-and-so's had a really, really bad day today been quite a depressive day today medication hasn't quite settled or on new medication or you know there is there is a number of things that happen with our with our red girls and then we go right okay so we just have to we we need to change the game or we need to play something ridiculously funny and a bit silly just to break down some of the I don't know the the fog that's going on in their head and then you've got the amber girls who um probably live with say learning difficulties who may not have mental health challenges on an everyday basis but it comes part and parcel with learning um, learning difficulties and they might have had a really bad day or it might have been you know something that's happened they're also the ones that have um, high anxiety so it's just you know the, it's telling them what we're going to be doing before it happens so today we're doing this we use boards we can sometimes we send session plans out it's just sort of highlighting to them right this is happening today we're going to play four games this is what we're doing there's going to be no rugby we might be playing you know rugby cricket or rugby, rugby rounders or a bit of you know rugby lacrosse or something along those lines it'll be completely different 
but they go okay right they can process and go right i know what's going to happen it's fine and then when you've got the our green girls where they just float through everything it's just identifying when the stressful times of the year are exams mocks um prom is <laughs> always <laughs> i know it doesn't sound stressful but for them they do not want to have a black eye when they're having their pictures taken for prom <laughs> so um it's um it's just identifying and popping it into um into our calendar so when i periodize our season i use a lunar calendar which some people find a bit weird but i do find that on a full moon cycle the girls can go a little bit nutty so it's always good to put in some creative ideas for them to lead the sessions for them to play their games to take away the competition to take away make sure I don't have games those weekends. I have no idea, and I don't know if anybody else out there realises that the full moon tends to make them a bit nutty. Um, but it's 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 quite good to put those in. Now, if we were a professional team, I'd probably add things like their, their menstrual cycles into that sort of link because that obviously has an impact. And because we've broken down some of those taboos, because we have male coaches in there, I've just said to them, you're the one with the problem. You have to get over talking about menstruation. It's not the girls. That's part of their biological nature. So if a girl comes to you and say, I've got really bad cramps, but I still want to take part, actually, you just need to go, okay, cool. Um, uh, that's fine. You can, um, you know, we'll go and play this or we'll go and do that or we'll change the game up um, to suit you know what's happening with them you know it, it doesn't mean that they stop playing because they've because that's what's happening in their life it, but it just is in the back of our coach's mind this might be why they're not performing well this might be why they have to to go away and you know it's it is the coach's problem at the end of the day not <laughs> not ours but then you know coaches are volunteers and we have to also take that into consideration when you've got volunteers you know the the load of um, information doesn't have to be as as high as it probably is at my club. I, I make it that way. This is our environment. Our, I want our coaches to coach at their very best. Want the girls to get the very best out of out of our coaches. And um, and for that to happen, we need a bit of an open forum. Is there a moment where you've struggled as a coach that you would be comfortable? sharing with with other coaches um i think where i probably struggle the most is what is probably the coach to coach interaction it's not i've not really had players or parents who have not been happy to discuss sometimes you've got to take your time and it's a slow process for them to break down those really strong walls that they've built there are some very strong i mean if trump wanted to build a wall he should use an emotional wall of teenage girls and their emotional needs and mental health well-being because you know they are some strong strong walls and strong barriers to break down um but the coach to coach stuff when you have a coach that doesn't believe in mental well-being or thinks other oh, girls are just playing up and, and are not open to breaking down their own um, their own belief system or their own coaching system and that's the hardest and that's where you struggle because you know, I know my players I know my players very well and when you get that coach it doesn't happen very often but when you get that coach that can sometimes be really hard because you're just banging your head against the wall saying these are just kids you know, why can't you change? Why can't you do this? Why can't you be open about it? Because it's your, and I've said this before, it is their fault. So the coach's fault, not not the player's fault. The players are there to play a sport that they love in a comfortable environment. And that, you know, I would rather lose a coach because they couldn't fit into the environment than lose a player. You know, it means more work for me. But I haven't had a coach yet that hasn't bought into it. Um, I've had those who have struggled to get their heads around it, but more because they didn't understand its lack of information. But once they understand, once they 
are um, comfortable with it, it's a lot easier for them to to change some of their behaviours. That's a really powerful statement that you would you would lose a coach and take more work on for yourself because they couldn't you know get through that barrier of of understanding. Just to flip that question, what's been the most j joyful experience you've had as a coach? Oh, do you know what? Um, I've probably got hundreds of them, but I think the most joyful part has actually been receiving the feedback from the, um, and, and I say that because I hadn't actually realised until I sent that text message out how many people who I've had an interaction with who have valued that interaction, whether it's been the confidence building before they've gone to go and play at their first premiership match or the fact that everything in their world has completely collapsed and broken down and they've, you know, got, they've literally got nothing to live for. And then to see them as an adult living their absolute best life or, you know, having that parent, tell me how important just dropping a ball off during lockdown, throwing it over their fence to their daughter who was really, really struggling. You know, I think receiving that feedback was so powerful and I didn't actually realise how many people I had been in contact with who valued that support. So I think that's been, that's been a highlight. Yeah. And I, and I, and I can see it's, it's been a, it's been a highlight. There are, you know, for people listening, there are there are tears, and it, and for me, it just hammers home how um, emotionally invested you are in people's well-being, which I think is is amazing, and it is to be commended. I think you know, you you, you messaged me this morning, or late last night, and said when you sent this text message, the the floodgates had opened. Um, and I think sometimes as a coach, it's, it's probably it is really important to ask for feedback. Otherwise, I don't think we quite know the the impact we really have. And I think today for you is hammered home. You, you have had a really positive impact in in lots of people's lives, you know, and, and lots of coaches will. We you know, that's our, our job. Yes, they go away and they have a love of rugby, but we're, we're there to positively impact in, in people's lives. And I think. And I honestly think what you're you're doing is is amazing, and the environment you've created is amazing. If you have um, any feedback or additional stories you wanna you want to share with us and, and share on the pod, is there something you think you know a, a story or a feedback or a feedback moment you've read today that that you want to share or want to sort of highlight in a particular way? Yeah, I have had um, I had some feedback from some of my older girls who have now left, and I think that for them it wasn't so much what I had done for them or or their family, but what I'd done for one of my players. And um, one of my players happened to um, transition in their late late teenage, early twenties, um, and you know that player now no longer plays rugby, but I invited him back to come and um, play in the in the new women's team. We've got a legacy for the Women's World Cup, which I know has been bounced <laughs> to the following year, so I have to rethink that. Um, but it was instant. You know, he said, you know, I'm, I'm living my, my life as a man now. I went, yes, I know, but you're still part of our team. Oh, I, yeah. He, and he was like, oh, fantastic. And the response from a couple of my old players was like, you didn't just you just didn't bat an eyelid. It was like it was just normal. And you know, I know, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff out there about trans playing rugby and whether they should or they shouldn't. I really don't care. It's that's not down to me. But being completely inclusive doesn't doesn't mean rugby on the pitch. Being inclusive means everybody can play um, and everybody can take part. Uh, we all need volunteers. We all need managers. We all need kit people. We need people to pick up the kit. We need people to mark the pictures. And, you know, for those girls, being inclusive to their friend was the most powerful thing that I've ever done for them. And I was like, wow, I, you know, I hadn't thought of it that way. I hadn't thought that being kind to one person 
which I just thought was just normal behaviour, to be fair, <laughs> um, had impacted a couple of girls in the way they see me as a coach or as a person um, in their adult life, which is quite, quite, quite nice. Yeah, I mean, the, the trans rugby thing is probably another, another can of worms. Oh, we don't that's a different podcast. Or, 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 you know, um, scientific knowledge or the studies to, to, to open today. Um, but I do think with all the discussions that go on around it, I think people forget that anyone who transitions is still a person and you still know them and they still have a, and even more so they have a desire to be included. Yeah. And I think with all the discussions around, should they play rugby? What form does that look like? People forget that touch rugby is an, it can be a tremendous way of getting anyone involved in your community um you know so I, th I think that's fantastic what you did and for the you know for those girls who it is their friend they instantly feel probably feel a little bit relieved that that he's coming that you know they'll be able to see him and, and chat to him when when the event takes place so I, I I think that's really tremendous yeah well I just I think of it as it's just normal it's normal behavior to be kind regardless I you know for me once you put your boots on and you get out onto that park, I don't care if you're, you know, if you're an alien, if you think that you're a Trekkie, a Star Trekker, or if you're, you know, uh, if you think that you're Marilyn Monroe out on that park, I really don't care. You're, you put the number on, that's your number. You're a, you know, you're a prop, you're a second row, you're a flanker, you're a, you're a center. You've got a job to do on that park and that's what you're there to do. Everything else is just, smoke and mirrors and you know it's it's it, it like you said it is a different podcast to to chat about but you know we talk a lot I think lockdown has presented it's a lot of a lot of problems and a lot of um especially a lot of mental health challenges but it's also taught people just to be kind and there's just no need to be horrible if you've got something horrible to say just go away <laughs> go away and say it somewhere else on, on the subject of lockdown, I know there will be lots of coaches listening who probably weren't aware of mental wellness beforehand, who are now thinking, crikey, how do I incorporate this in my session? I, I'm feeling a bit ropey. Players will will feel a bit ropey. What, how are you going to check in with players after lockdown and what do you advise coaches to do? Uh, well, what we're doing, which I know... Um, I'm hoping that most coaches will, will go out, but if they don't, they can follow what we're doing. We are having our first session and we are literally going back to fun, 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 fun. Going back to those old style sort of tag rugby kind of games, chase and flee. You've got rats and rabbits, heads, shoulders, knees, toes, catch the ball. All of those really fun childhood games we're bringing back into our first session. It's not about the rugby. It's about let's connect together um, you know, some team building exercises that we've we've got um, put built into our session as well, just to really get to know each other again and to break down those those barriers because they they will come with a bit of anxiety. Um, so that's our first session in a nutshell. Loads and loads of fun. Doesn't have to look like rugby. Doesn't have to smell like rugby, but it just has to to look and smell like a lot of fun. And once we've done that. The second session is more around games. So, again, it doesn't have to be rugby. I think we're going to probably do a little bit of football um, because we don't know what the RFU guidelines are going to be. In my head, I've gone with what we did last lockdown when we came out, sort of groups of six. We've designed games around that. We've also designed games around groups of 10 if we come out of lockdown in those groups. Um, so it, it's all about fun in the first week. And then after that, we can rebuild the rugby. Realistically, we're looking at a shorter season if we get any game time at all. Um, I think the girls' preference from speaking to them is that they would like to play some games, but they don't mind waiting to the summer. They don't mind waiting so that it looks a bit like rugby fives or seven-a-side rugby or tens in the summertime. Depending on the regulation changes, that would obviously have impact on our under-13s below. Uh, but for the 15s and 18s, as long they're allowed to train, they're allowed to play touch rugby in the summer months. So, you know, we can look towards summer rugby, which if we can fill that for them, 
a lot of girls aren't going away. So if we can fill that calendar full of activity and so some team building stuff, I know the girls have asked to go back to the water park. So, you know, instead of doing training, we'll go to the water park and they can bounce on the on the water equipment and, you know, stuff like that's fun to do. Really good team building, um, really good bonding for the girls as well, because they form friendships. They, you know, it, and they, they learn how to form friendships. So then when they go to uni, it's a lot easier to form friendships. And um, and then, yeah, and then we, we'll start the season in September again, hopefully playing some rugby, hopefully. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. So, yeah, ultimately it's fun, 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 loads and loads of games. And, again, it doesn't have to look like rugby. It just has to be fun. Awesome. I am uh, coming to my last question, but before I do that, um, and obviously we end on a slightly silly note or normal note, depending on what you're going to go for. I, I do want to thank you for being so vulnerable today on the pod and, and sharing stories. Um, it has really affected me. Um, and, you know, and it, it sort of hammers home the importance of a coach being there emotionally for players and, and being there and, and being that sort of other shoulder of support that they need sometimes and, and, you know, where you can help and signpost people to information. But it's it's probably taken a little bit of, of courage and vulnerability on your part today to sort of sit here and, and talk about it and be so open and honest about your processes and how you formed that. So I I want to say thank you. And is there anything else you want to add just on the on the mental health topic well, just before we finish that bit? I think if um, if coaches can take one piece of advice away, it would be to treat anybody who is open about their mental well-being or mental health um, is to just treat them normally. Don't, you know, don't pussyfoot around them. Don't treat them as if they're a separate entity, that they have to be bubble wrapped. Yes, have an understanding. Yes, be empathetic to whatever's going on, but don't treat them any different. Um, because they don't want to feel different. They already feel different on the inside. They don't want to feel different when they come to the rugby club. Um, so that would be my piece of advice to anybody is just treat them normally, but understand them. I think that's a really important take home message. Absolutely. So I'm, I'm, I'm excited because every time I ask this question, I get given something different. I've had robots, VR, um, Last time I asked this question, I think it was Simon Middleton and he just went like straight down the line. It'll just be people. I'm not thinking 30 years time what you're talking about, Jess. So we've, we've either had like really straightforward answers or completely wacky. So if we travel forward in time, what does coaching look like in the next 30 years and who is doing the coaching? You can go really sci-fi or you can be optimistic in terms of diversity. You can You can sort of go whichever way you want. Well, I think in 30 years' time, given my age now, uh, if I was still coaching in 30 years' time, I'll be out there in a Zimmer frame, which would be all electronic, and I'm going to have, like, roller skates that are designed for 4G pitches so I don't have to go over bumps, and I can scoot around with some kind of whistle in my mouth that's attached to my lips, sort of, like, sewing on. And I'm going to have, you know, because I'm an old biddy, I'll have my glasses, and my glasses will read my, my script to me, and, I'll, and then I can have that on voice control that'll go out there because, you know, I'll be an old biddy. don't think anybody will be able to listen to me. So, you know, having something sort of loud on a megaphone, I think, would be quite great. It'd be really cool to see, actually, like touch rugby or tag rugby played with roller skates, which would be kind of cool. <laughs> but to be honest, I think in 30 years' time, I mean, my kids will probably be coaching. I hope they're, they're still doing something like that. And they'll be like, um, I think they'll dig out, you know, Vicky's coaching for dummies book that I've sort of written, you know, and uh, they'll be doing the same old stuff, but it'll all be sort of gamified and all on fancy notepads. I mean, I do like a bit of a gadget. So, you know, coaching with gadgets is also fun. Um, but who knows? I don't, you know, I think I'm hoping that coaching in 30 years time has evolved to be more holistic around people's feelings and um and their well-being um i'm hoping that coaching 
in 30 years time is also tapped into the parts of our brain that we don't actually use because um, I did hear something or I have read something that we only use a certain percentage of our brain so it'd be quite nice to see what coaching would look like in 30 years time if we tapped into the unused part of our brain um, yeah so I think but I still like the idea of coaching with roller skates <laughs> yeah and I, and I like the idea of you transforming yourself into some sort of cyborg rugby coach with the amount of technology on your Zimmer frame. I, I really like that idea. If I don't see that in 30 years, I will be very disappointed, I have to say. <laughs> and I'll ring you up and I'll go, Vicky, where's this cyborg stuff? I want to see it. Um, but yeah, I just I just want to thank you for for being on the pod today. And I, I think a lot of coaches listening out there are going to be really touched by what you've said today and really Im impacted. Um, you know, there's been some difficult stories with some learning moments in there, but it, it but it's also been fun as well. And we, you know, we've we've had a laugh um, while sharing some emotional stories and and sharing some learned about some mental health. So, yeah, um, thank you, Vicky, so much. No worries. Thank you. Thank you.